So welcome back to Leaders Consulting, the show that brings you interviews with the experts in the trenches at the forefront of consulting practice, sharing their own perspectives, tips and resources they picked up along the way for your benefit. On this episode, we're joined by Simon Severino, and Simon is the CEO of the growth con- of growth consultancy Strategy Sp- Sprints, where he helps B2B teams run their companies more efficiently. He's also the creator of the Strategy Sprints method, uh, which helps double companies' revenues in 90 days by getting them out of the weeds, so basically working on the business instead of inside the business all the time. And the core of this method is also uh, aptly titled Strategy Sprints, 12 Ways to Accelerate Growth for an Agile Business. So, Simon, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, everybody. Excited to be here. Yes, great to have you on. So, Simon, can you lead us off with what you might consider to be a unique tr- approach or tip, tool or strategy that you think other people in consulting should probably know about? We are coaching right now many, many solo consultants, small consultancy teams. And what we see right now as key has always been important, but right now it's vital because it's the difference about who will be around next year. So if your country is in a recession or stagflation or something similar, probably what you want to have right now are costs that go up and down with your with the number of projects. So when you have less projects, you want to have less costs. When you have more projects, you want to have more costs. So what we're doing right now with all our clients is that we go through their main cost positions. And people listening right now can do it right now. What are your main cost positions? It's probably personnel. And then it's either um, spaces, right, rent, or it's software if you're born remote, like we are. Uh, if not, it, it's time probably to move to, to to remote yeah and then what's and and then what else are you spending a lot of money on and now think of how can you turn those fixed costs into variable costs so for example you you have a pr agency that's doing pr for you switch from paying them 3k per month to paying them per hit so i pay you 2k if you lend me in ink magazine i pay you 6k if you lend me in harvard business review i pay you 40k if you land me on USA Today. That's the switch from fixed to variable. And that will, in some cases, de-risk your budgeting because you might have still the same costs because they, they do land you in USA Today, but you don't have the risk that you might pay 3000 in a month where they don't land you anywhere and, we'll, and, and might have excuses on why it is so. Same thing with marketing agencies, same thing with lead generation agencies, same thing, whatever else contracts you have, turn them into contracts that are more costly when you have more work because you're happy to pay more when you can pay more. And there will be months where you can't pay more. And in those months, you don't want to have high costs. So cost position fixed versus variable is something that I'd like to start with. It's not the sexiest topic, but it's it's a vital one. We have to talk about it. And so I have brought a ton of both revenue systems, but also cost reduction systems and also investment systems that we can talk about 
happy to go wherever you want. Yeah, that's an interesting one because initially when I think of fixed costs versus variable costs, I often think of, well, fixed costs are a bit more predictable, right? You know exactly how much it's going to cost you every month for, um, you know, for... Yeah, for the services that you're you're using or you're consuming or or the or, or what you're being provided with, whereas variable may go up and down. But I suppose there are there are ways of, of being able to predict and you know, your variable costs and doing it in a way that does de-risk things. So in fact, you're only paying for like you say, you know, the the outcomes rather than um, just kind of maybe flushing away some of your toilet your your money down the toilet essentially. Yes, you pay them from the profits. So it's not very helpful for me to have a predictable 16K costs if I don't know if my profit is going to be 16K next month. Maybe my profit is 12K next month. So I guess nobody listening has an exact estimation of their next three profit months. If you do, congrats. Let me do a song for you. And uh, some of our clients do have these estimations from their CRM, but only after one or two sprints. Because usually when people start, they don't have a very reliable sales estimation number, and especially not the profit number. So that's the second tip that I have. First is reduce your costs and reduce the risks. The second is talking profits. When you get your cash flow report, and now many solopreneurs go, I don't get the cash flow report. I am the reporter. Okay, then you are the reporter. By the way, even when you do your own books, that that was the first thing that I outsourced. I was a solo consultant and, and I outsourced it to you know a bookkeeping agency. And I said, please do these financial reports, do everything around finances. I don't want to follow up open invoices of clients. Just do it for me. And we had a contract. And then I said, yeah, yeah but this report, I need it monthly, the cash flow report. And I said, no, 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 that's not how you do the books. Said, okay, then we're going to change the way we do the books. Because this is what I need. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not a bookkeeper. This is what I need every 30 days. First, the profits. First line is profits and profit in percentage. Then I need my revenue. Then cost positions, cost of work, cost of sales, cost of marketing, cost of innovation. Because there are things that are not sales, not marketing. They're just innovation. So I want cost of innovation. And then I need cash flow and liquidity. Liquidity is how much can we pay this Friday? And um, cash flow is what's coming in, what's going out. If there is anything that you expect in two months, that's a big sum that I need to pay because three years ago, I had higher profits than I can remember. I need to see this in that report. I need to be prepared for that big sum that I have to pay back. And, you know, sometimes the agencies, the the Government agencies that you work with as an entrepreneur, sometimes they take years to charge for something that happened three years ago. You had a great year and now you get this boom bill of 200000 that you have to pay at once. And I go, oh, I want to know this stuff up front. So that's in the cash flow report. And this is just one spreadsheet. And we share this template uh, with our clients, but it's also on our website. People can download it, strategyprints.com. They can download it. We call it just the monthly the monthly budget and it's it's really important that you get this information in this way for for exactly what you were saying otherwise how do you take decisions on on what's coming on what to spend on on what to save for like the main decisions right 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It comes across that, you um, know, you, you like to do things maybe slightly non-traditionally. Like you like, you like to shake things up a little bit, you know, getting your, you know, getting your bookkeeper to do something, things slightly differently that work better for you as a, as a business owner, which totally makes sense. And one of, one of the terms you have, which I, I hadn't come across before, obviously, you know, we've, we all know ROI, right? Return on investment. But you talk about something called return on luck. Can you explain what you mean by that return on luck? Yes. And, uh, and before that, yes, I like to pick up what you said. Yes. I really take seriously the two questions of Seth Godin, like who is it for and what does it do? So whatever product or service is really important, who is it for and what does it do? If you accept cookie cutting, that governments do, that agencies do. This is the way accounting is done. If you accept that and you are serving entrepreneurs, then you are not really serving them. You know, 21 years ago, I decided I'm here to serve entrepreneurs. So now I really listen and I hear what they really need. It's the opposite of what the world around them is doing. (laughs) So wherever I can... I try to intervene. If I can intervene, I do intervene. If I can't, I build a model that's better than the current model. That's, I think, Buckminster Fuller, who said, if you want to change reality, don't fight reality. Build a model a model that's better than the current model, and then people will use the better model. And that's how you, you, know, you change things around you. So that's what I do. If I see that reports are just not helpful, because it's not helpful for an... Imagine you're a small business. And you get a cash flow report every 12 months. But you are not taking decisions every 12 months, nor every six months. You're taking decisions every day. And you have to pay now. So you better know two months ahead that's coming. And you don't have the time to do all of this because in that time, you need to serve your clients and to grow your business. So it's a total illusion that you can do it. Total overwhelm. Okay, but now back to your question, um, which was the return on luck. That was a fun thing that I started. I was thinking like, hey, luck lands on some team's desk and not on others. How can that be? Everybody's giving their best. So why is this team crushing it and this other team is not crushing? And basically, my take on this is. Some people, they get ready to to get hit by the luck bus. So the luck bus is coming for everybody. But who will get hit by it? The difference is the ones who put themselves on the middle of the street. They will get hit. So some teams do and some teams don't. What is the middle of the street? It is positioning yourself for a topic and then coherently and relentlessly showing up as the expert for that topic. Every week you write the one blog on LinkedIn about it. Look at Seth Godin. 30 years he wrote every day about marketing. Every day. He didn't skip one Sunday. So that guy, he put himself in the middle of the road and he got hit by the luck bus. So that's your return on luck. You show up consistently. So you pick a fight. I picked a fight 21 years ago. It was strategy, 
done in a certain way, in a sprint way. And 21 years, I've been every day, every day, doing that, sharing that, listening to that, sharing what I have learned, sharing my mistakes. But it was always around strategy sprint. And in the beginning, you said, guess what's, guess what the, what's the name of Simon's book? It's strategy sprint. Guess what's my company's name? Strategy sprint. <laughs> guess what the URL? Strategysprints.com. Whatever you guess, you are right because I'm standing in the middle of a road and I'm standing here every day for the next 15 years and it will be very hard, you know, to own that term, to own that SEO uh, thing. To, 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 if you want to become strategy sprint on the internet, good luck. Good luck. Yeah, I've, something I've I picked up from you is that you seem to have like a very, you know, a real relentless focus on, you know, one objective, like a very cohesive, like message uh, that, yeah, you know, just resonates with people. They immediately understand, they know what you're talking about, and they want the result that you describe, you know, the outcomes that you, you describe. And I, I guess it kind of ties into this also, this idea of... Um, I, th I think it was Clay Collins, right? He talks about this as well, right? The, um, you know, focus on one market, on one solution, uh, and one marketing channel that, and, and just double down on that. Um, that's something you really, you really subscribe to, subscribe to. I would say, you know, like personally, that approach seems to make sense to me in, in theory. I kind of find like if I just focus on one thing all the time, I kind of get a little bit bored. How do you avoid that, that boredom? That's a very important point because I am somebody who gets bored super easily, super easily. If you ask me, Simon, what were you eating yesterday? I say, who cares? I don't know. Who cares? It's yesterday. It's like ages ago. I don't know. So I'm only looking forward and I'm only interested in what's forward. So I'm immediately bored. On the other side... I did pick a fight 21 years ago, and I will stay coherent to that. So how is that both possible, especially for creative people like you and I and many listening? Um, how is that possible? And I think it goes very well together. There is a book here on my desk. Where is it? It's called, it's by a Buddhist monk called Pema Chodron. And the name is, the, is it, the book is called The Wisdom of No Escape. She's talking about retreats where you go, you know, to, to center yourself. And since you are stuck for five days, well, there is no Netflix. You will find out about yourself. You will reconnect to yourself. <laughs> That's the wisdom of no escape. And the same thing is for marriages. If you are married over 10 years, like I am, you know that it's a bliss. You cannot escape. So you will go through all the issues and you will learn and grow together if you don't escape. <laughs> and the same thing is for creative endeavors. Every great, uh, let's say, painter picks a fight and stays in, inside of those boundaries. For example, I don't know, think of your favorite creative people. They have a kind of style and a range that they allow themselves. Some do just black and white. Some do a specific materials. They usually stay in their lane. Of course, it becomes boring, but that's the work. This is when the work starts. 
the work is not the fun part. The work is when you show up in the morning, you go, ah, strategy again. What do I tell about strategy? <laughs> well, that's the work. That's the work. Hey, people, today I have nothing to say about growth. Let's explore this. How can growth be boring? How can growth be uh, not another monologue? So then I go into that. You know, So every day I am exploring what it really means right now for me. Right. I'm, I'm, you know, our, our third kid will come to the world in a couple of weeks. I will look at the world differently in three weeks. I will talk about the same topic, strategy sprint, but from that lenses. And you will see fresh content and it's, it's authentic. It's new. It's, it's true to me on that day. And it will be high energy because it's true. What will I talk about in three weeks? I have no idea. I know that it will be from the lenses of how you grow a business, right? Because that's the fight that I've picked. What will I tell in three weeks? No idea. What I am currently exploring, my mistakes, my insights, how does it feel to not sleep again <laughs> and, and still having to show up as a CEO? So how do you do when you didn't sleep, but you have an important meeting? I will probably have one of those as the next monologue, as the next email newsletter thing. Yeah. So it sounds like it's it's a it's a perspective that's constantly evolving and where you're also able to overcome those those points where it becomes challenging, but you make sure that you you overcome those hurdles and by doing so that you're able to to be more resilient as well at the same time. Yes, because if you remove these hurdles, those uh, boundaries, it's not art anymore. Then it's too easy. So it's art when you see, oh my God, this is tough. I couldn't write for 30 years every day a blog like Seth Godin. It's just impossible for me. So that's why I listen to his podcast every day. And I wonder every day, my God, where does he take this idea? And then I get, and then I get it from life, from life. He walks around, he sees something, he makes a monologue the next day. Beautiful. Same thing. Jerry Seinfeld, right? My favorite comedian. Where does he take this material? Well, from life. He goes to a restaurant. He's pissed about something. That becomes the next bit. Yeah. It's funny because, uh, you know, what you remind me of is Seth Godin had, had a, a podcast called Startup School, which you can still find. It's a great, it's a great, it's basically a week-long seminar. And he takes all these examples and applies them to like how, you know, you can take this principle or, or why this worked in a, you know, in this context. Now you can apply that to your own, you know, entrepreneurial business. Uh, but one of the examples he uses is, is a Thai restaurant, which is literally just down the road from me. <laughs> and I just, you know, sometimes I just find it funny. I'm just, you know, I go to that restaurant and I just think to myself, it's funny, you know, that, that, yeah, but you know, that Seth Godin came up with something like that and a place like this, which is just, it's just, it's a good Thai restaurant, but it is just, you know, a Thai, it's just everyday life, really. So you see, yeah. that's the beauty. When you pick a fight, you, you are, you are restricting your radius, but that radius become a whole universe of beautiful micro events because now you start seeing your own little garden, but in a much more, um, in, 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 with more curiosity, you say, you see every single bee now and go, wow, a bee. And you, you could take that as material. And so 
that's I think it's two sides of the same coins. You reduce your playground by picking a fight, but that playground opens up a whole universe. It's it's like a rabbit hole. You fall down a rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah. It's not boring, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I, I was I was thinking of how, you know, how did he apply that example in that particular instance? I think this restaurant, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And he was talking about how they managed to market the restaurant. And so, you know, any any and he told the story of how, you know, in, in New York, you have these kind of food bloggers that are always looking for the next thing. And the trend at that time was like Thai food was very, you know, Western friendly. And this restaurant was like, no, we're going to just do it for the Thai community. Um, but they also tapped into this sort of micro blogging community. And all of a sudden it was like the talk of the town. So he was, he was basically taking that analogy and saying, how can you apply this to your own business? How can you create something that really stands out that becomes that purple cow or whatever it is. Yeah. Great example. I love it. Yes. They pick the fight, right? We are here for this community. We are here to serve those people. They picked the fight and they did it consistently enough with high caring and high quality enough. At some point it works. Yeah. And I'm curious. So sometimes when, you know, people talk about, taking a certain stance that maybe other people might disagree with and so forth. They might, you know, uh, basically take someone who's, you know, say Gary Vaynerchuk or someone who's like really, you know, everybody knows him and they take something that they stand for, you know, hustle culture or something like that. And they'll take the opposite view, anti-hustle culture. In fact, uh, one of our previous guests, uh, uh, Michael Shine did exactly that. I'm curious, were there any people that, or, or stances or things that you see people say and you're just like no that's completely wrong i i believe you know that's that's bad advice it should be it should be this way instead yes many times many times i'm so i'm baffled by what i see as advice that our clients come and say yeah but my coach said i should do this and i go oh really and how did it work for you <laughs> because i would say the opposite right and it usually doesn't work well so, for example, one thing that I am seeing do, people do, so basically, I see two stages in the development of your solopreneur business or small business. One is below 35K per month. That's stage one. Let's call it the growth stage, okay? You are going to hit your first 35K month. That's a very different stage from the next stage, which we can call the scaling stage. Now you have hit 35K per month, which means the world is telling you, this is good, I want it, please give it to me. And that's a very important difference because before you were just exploring territory, you are assuming and you are building. But after it, they say, this is what I need, give me more of it. And these are basically the two stages of a small business. So when you're in stage one, below 35K per month, you should do only two things, operations and sales. You should not touch marketing. You should not spend one minute on social media. You should not spend $1 on social media or anything marketing. And this is probably now the, <laughs> it's upsetting many that listen, including Gary Vee, including many, many, many of the gurus 
of this world. Why do I say that? Because if you start marketing something that's not working, you are not doing yourself a service. You are not doing anybody a service. So first, make sure you have something that works. That's operations. That's your delivery. right? And then you make sure that somebody picks it up. That's sales. And after it, it might take three months, six months. With our help, it takes three months. Without us, it might take you nine months, nine years, whatever it takes. But you have to do the operations work and the sales work first. And then now you have hit 35K. Now you have something that works. Now we get you out of the weeds. And you start writing the first book, starting that podcast that you always wanted to start. Because, yeah, it's fun to have a podcast. Do it. Just do it in the right moment. Right? And so there's just an order of things, a natural order of things. And I feel I'm, I'm, I'm very lonely in saying that. Um, it's something that I am, that I really care about saying. Because if, if you switch that order, you will work too much. You will not have enough results and you will run out of money. Not a good combination. Yeah, totally agree with that. Very interesting. So you mentioned that. You know, you, you're you're impressed by the work of Seth Godin, and you mentioned there were, earlier there was a book by uh, I think it was a Buddhist monk, Pema Chodron. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious. You know, are there are there maybe any like slightly obscure um, influences that you have that maybe a lot of other people may not have heard of? So it sounds like you you sound like a pretty well read person. Yes, I I'm, I can give you obscure things. <laughs> You know, I have two, obs- three obscure um, passions. Yeah. Um, one is philosophy, and um, and I le- I'm reading really old stuff pre-Plato. Like, I love Parmenide. I don't know how you call him in English. Par- Parmenides. Parmenide. Everything pre-Athens, pre-Plato, pre-Socrates. It's beautiful. There is wisdom in there. And it's evergreen. I was talking to um, um, Perry Marshall. We did a summit together. And Perry tells me that in the morning, before he does emails, he reads some a book that is pre-Gutenberg, so pre-printing press. Very old books. Very old books that have stood the test of time. And so the obscure things that I write to read is everything philosophy from, yeah, pre-Athens. I like also to read spiritual things around the yoga practices, not just the bodily, but also the deeper practices of yoga. Uh, I read Satguru, and I also do all his programs. I am completing the last program soon. It's called Inner Engineering. I love it. It's really good. And then I have a third obscure love which is triathlon. And in triathlon, which has, you might say, but that has nothing to do with business, Simon. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe yes, because I have learned how to coach people. Yes, from my business background, etc. But it, it brought in a complete new angle when I started doing races that were, you know, bigger than I am. And then I had a coach, a triathlon coach. And I learned how to coach people from that. 
like how to create a training plan. They, I had a training plan. I had real-time numbers uh, that were coming from my Garmin watch. And I had real-time feedback. He would ping me, Simon, you are running too fast. I said, how do the hell do you know? I said, I, I get your data. I said, oh, my God, every entrepreneur needs this. Every entrepreneur needs this. I need your email data. If you are my client, I want to know your email of today. What was the click rate? What was the open rate today? So that I ping you and say, hey, click rate 1% is not good. We want two and a half. Let's work. Here are five ideas. And then I ping you immediately on your phone. You are in New York. I'm in Vienna. I ping you immediately. Hey, try this subject line. That's a good coach for me. Real time. And so I did, I learned that from triathlon. So you can learn stuff from very obscure angles. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. Triathlon high performance coaching. Yeah. I can see how that would uh, play out well in the business world as well. Well, Simon, you know, this has been a really interesting chat. I, I do realize that you have a busy schedule, so I do want to be mindful of time. Um, but before we wrap things up, do you want to tell people more about where they can find out more about strategy sprints? I'm guessing it's probably something related to strategy sprints.com. Um, <laughs> yes. And, and the book strategy sprints, uh, surprise, surprise is on Amazon right now. So I think it's a, it's a bargain. And Seth Godin would say, it's a screaming bargain. A book is a screaming bargain because it, it can make you millions. And, and what's the risk? It's like, 15 bucks. So yes, the book is, is a, a work of love. I really, I really, I really dedicated um, a lot of time and I, I did overshare in that book. There are clients telling about how they solved marketing problems, sales problems. There are all my blueprints that I use to run my business. So the book, Strategy Sprints on Amazon. And then on our website, strategysprints.com, people can download some of the tools that I were mentioning and they can use them. They are open source. Um, so yeah, strategysprints.com. Excellent. Well, Simon, thank you for being so generous with your insights and with your you know resources. Um, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, I just want to say thanks very much for coming on. Thank you. Keep rolling, everybody. Cheers. Have you ever wondered what it takes to launch a podcast for your own consultancy? If so, you'll definitely want to tune into our sister show, Podcasting for Consultants, which shares our whole playbook on exactly how to launch revenue-generating podcasts. In order to tune in, all you have to do is search for Podcasting for Consultants on your favorite podcast player. Alternatively, you can also find it on our website at podcastingforconsultants.net.